All right, here we are back again for more streamy goodness, I guess. I've tweaked a few audio settings. So in theory, possibly, uh, the lower volume audio is no longer an issue. But uh, hey, I guess we'll we'll find out as we go. Tonight is is it's possibly a a complicated issue. I don't mean to make it complicated, but it's dense and it's got a lot of parts. And I'm gonna try and make it as straightforward and understandable as possible. But I can't necessarily guarantee that we can stay entirely out of the weeds here because we're gonna have to at some point talk kind of crunchy, fiddly bits. That said, some of this is also going to be pretty general because a lot of these things are going to come down to how you interpret them and how you apply them. Just because I'm going to tell you, here are some themes and I don't cover yours doesn't mean you're wrong or bad. It just means of the 100 plus things to talk about, well, I didn't cover yours. It's not intentional. I will do my best. I'm not walking through every single one of them. That would we'd be here forever. Uh, so instead, I'm gonna kind of hit and miss on a few, kind of go through things, and just generally give you a structure more than a specific like. Let's start with the letter A and then go all the way through the alphabet because I I don't want to. I will say this, and this is mostly for the the podcast crowd, and and the after after stream crowd. If you are looking for a complete list and you do want to like break down specific things, the best thing you can do, jump on the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash John helps you write better. That was my phone alarm reminding me that it's time to go. Um, Forward slash John helps you write better over on patreon.com and hop on the discord and you can, there's a whole channel dedicated to theme pretty much. And I'll be happy to walk you through and talk to you about all the different stuff. So that all said, that all covered. You want to get started? Let's see if I got the sound sorted out. So so bear with me two seconds. I don't know. Hum to yourself for a minute. Hello there. Gosh, Bruce, yes. I'll get these darn verbs if they kill me. And now we'll see how good you are. Work complete. All right. So tonight, theme. And just to keep us straight and keep us on track, I made a table of contents because I'm a giant nerd. What do you want? Five things we're going to cover. We're going to cover what a theme is and sort of talk about it in in general breadth. A little bit of history lesson in there too. We're going to talk also about why you have to have one because you should have one. They're important and why it's not just a gimmick or it's not just this weird thing that only exists for some books and not others. You should always have one. I do want to bring up sort of a follow-up point about why traditional publishing 
makes these a requirement if you're going to be published traditionally, if you're going out there and getting representation from a pimp or an agent, and then you're going to try and, and go forward with a big five publisher, you, you better have a theme and you better be able to talk about it and not just rattle off some buzzwords in a query letter, but we'll cover it. I do want to talk about the, the universal six or seven themes that sort of everybody knows off the top of your head that are safe bets. If you're wondering, well, I don't know what my themes are. Chances are it's one of these six called the universal six or seven, depending on who you talk to. Um, they're a pretty safe play, more or less. And then we'll get specific. Then we'll talk about what, you know, the whole big giant list and a few key elements to keep in mind with a few items from that list, just in case. So we're going to cover theme and we're going to start with kind of just a, a straight up definition. So here's a definition for theme. A theme is a lesson that the writer, that's you, wants to suggest or share or install in the reader. Give them an idea. Sometimes we call this a moral. When the story is generally simplified, like really boiled down, and it very clearly has to do from a plot perspective with the moral, meaning the plot is the moral or doing the moral, we can refer to that as a fable or a morality tale. And the, the lesson, the takeaway, is almost always going to be in those cases what the character does or doesn't do in the course of the story to get their results, be they good or bad. That lesson we're trying to teach is, is your theme. You can have more than one theme in your book, absolutely. You don't want to have too many. And too many, I understand, is vague, but you want to have maybe one, two, maybe three to really define them. But any more than that, and you're going to start sort of watering them all down because you're going to have so many things to conceit, you know, to, to, to deal with and consider. You, you don't want to busy up the story just for the sake of busying it. And it's not like there's a magic number that traditional publishing wants in any way, shape, or form. It's more a matter of here are the things I can definitely strongly talk about because these are the things I want to share with you, install in you, or suggest to you. And then everything else are supporting themes. There's, you know, the theme you have, and then also this other stuff. Those are called supporting themes. They're detailed a little, but not a lot. That's the that's the big distinction here. It's well, it'll make more sense as we go along, but this is at least enough of a point to start with. And you should be able to look at your story, your manuscript, whatever it is. I don't care what genre it is, but you should be able to track it down and go, okay, the theme of this story is dot, 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 fill in the blank. It's going to be a general statement. It isn't just, oh, this is the, the theme of this story is um, Bob loses his job. That's not a theme. That's a plot point. Themes have to do with ideas and concepts that are slightly abstract that this story is an example of. They're almost always abstract. You don't really, you don't really want a less abstract theme because then your story feels a little preachy and it feels a little forced. So, Themes are often conceptual or broad topics so that you have the maximum ability to bend, twist, and play around with them over the course of your story. Make sense? Is that, is that pretty clear? What you want to do 
is create a thematic arc because the thematic arc is the delivery system for the theme in the story. It isn't just like um, you don't want to have or you should try and avoid having like a really overstated theme. You don't want to have a theme that says like uh, character A talks to character B. Gosh, I guess it really is all about friendship. That's 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 real corny. Like that's that's just that's just poorly written. You want to create what's called a thematic arc. Now we've talked about arcs before: character arc, plot arc, stuff like that. A thematic arc follows much the same trajectory, much the same idea as any other arc. There is a beginning, a middle, and an end. Although in a thematic arc, it has a few slightly more pieces, and we'll get into it. So there are generally, but you're not only limited to these, but there are generally four points to deal with in a thematic arc, and they are going to occur at different points in the book, the story, the manuscript. It's not all going to happen all in the same act. It shouldn't happen all in the same act. It shouldn't happen all in the same chapter. It should be at four or more separate points across the whole story, beginning, middle, and end. They should happen roughly in this order. Sections will repeat. We'll talk about that in a second. But pretty much you're going to go one, two, three, four. You might have a couple twos and a couple threes, but you will start at one and end at four. Your four parts are as follows. There's an introduction of the theme. This is generally done in what's called a deficit. So if we have a theme of standing up to bullies, our intro at a deficit would be somebody getting picked on by a bully. There needs to be somebody standing up. The, the kid has to, you know, eventually karate kick the blonde kid in the face. And we do that because we start the movie off with a thematic deficit. The, the intro at a deficit sets up the fact that the theme needs to happen, needs to be installed. This is not, this is not, this is not the only way to do things. However, it's a common way of doing things. And for a lot of writers, it's a safe way of doing things because from moving on from step one to the other steps, things can get kind of messy. So step two in your thematic arc is called recognition. Recognition is where the wheels start to come off for a lot of writers. Recognition with the theme is the idea of, hey, there's this thing. There's this concept. I'm seeing it. I'm not, it's not in my life, but it exists in the world and I have evidence of it. I'm seeing other people and I'm seeing other people benefit from having it or deal with it or accepting it. And gosh, golly, I want that. I want to feel like that. I want to be like that. I want to transform my life in accordance with this theme. That can happen multiple times depending on the number of themes. That can happen to varying degrees. Like we can start seeing it and then progressively over a few installments of seeing it come to agree, come to recognize, and then come to decide that, oh, I, you know, it's, this is the sixth time this has happened. I guess I should do something about it. You can have multiple steps of recognition. They don't get a special name if you do. They're just a step of recognition. You can have more than one. It's okay now, just because I know somebody's going to think this or ask this question. If you have multiple themes, it's okay for one theme to have a very linear one, two, three, four arc. And it's totally okay if another theme 
in your story has a one two 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 three 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 four. It's okay. Deal with one arc by itself, and then go deal with the others. You can have as many twos, as many moments of recognition for your theme as you want. That said, you're probably not going to need as many as you possibly could. It's going to be a low number unless you are really, really, really making a point, like clubbing the reader over the head. Because it's recognition, and once you see it, you see it. Once you explain it to the reader, you got it. And as somebody comes into chat, it occurs to me that I did no introduction tonight. So, hi, I'm John. Uh, hi, it's been a long day. Uh, we're talking about theme. Thanks for being here. Thanks for checking this out. Um, we're going we're gonna to dig in on theme, and I, I hope it helps. For those of you out there listening to this, watching this, etc., who are romance authors, your thematic moment of recognition pairs really, really nicely with your meet cute, with your establishing of the relationship, or for your character's projection of wish, the idea of, gosh, I wish I had a boyfriend like that. It's a night, nice, some of these things for thematic arcs really line up nicely with other story pieces, is what I'm saying. Whether we are looking wistfully off at the twin sons of Tatooine, wishing we could have part of a bigger destiny, whether we are realizing that we have to join the rebellion because, um, you know, the, the lady from Harry Potter has, has told us to fight the Empire and there's nothing left for us here, whether we are recognizing that we need to look at winged creatures of the night in order to strike fear into the hearts of Gothamites or whether we need Marlon Brando to tell us to, you know, do the right thing and, and help Earth or whether we need Ozzie Davis to tell us as we deliver pizzas to always do the right thing. Your moment of recognition is maybe not the point where the thematic arc starts, but it's certainly the point in the thematic arc where it, it picks up speed. We start pressing the gas pedal. We start gaining some momentum with it. Once we recognize that, oh, that's a thing, that's a theme, I should do something about it, you begin a series of challenges. Now, you can divide point number three, called the challenge point of, of a thematic arc, into multiple iterations because you can have challenge and failure. I try to do a thing. I'm not good at it. I fall on my ass. Whether that's a literal falling of the ass or a figurative falling on the ass, it, it's up to the author. But you're going to have challenge moments. This is where the character is making an effort to do something in alignment with the arc, and they have not mastered it yet. Whatever it might be. They're, they're learning about the importance of found family, but they're still being selfish and solitary. This is somebody learning to, you know, stand up to a bully and they haven't figured out how to do the crane kick yet. This is somebody, you know, trying to learn about appreciating beauty and they're cynical. Challenge comes with failure until it doesn't. How many times? Eh, that's up to you. Does this have to happen to every character? No. But you should assign a character to your thematic arc. And hint, I'm just going to tell you this, it's probably going to be better served by your main character. So if you're running out there with like, I got 15 main characters because I'm in third person. Well, pick one and, and we'll try and tie the theme to their actions and make them sort of the standout third party. But 
if you're in first person, or even second person, your thematic arc is going to tie real nicely to your plot or character arc. It might be your plot or character arc. It might all be the same arc. Wouldn't that be a nice, neat, tight little package if your theme, your plot, and your character arc were all the same thing? I'm not saying that it always needs to be that way, but sometimes for a lot of writers, it's a lot easier to, you know, tie things up in neat little bows than have 10 million loose threads running around. The challenge section, part three of four for a thematic arc, can be a spot where, holy shit, people really fall off. They create too many challenges. They make them too easy. They make them too difficult. They don't space them out properly. You know, challenge, 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 challenge right after the other doesn't really make them feel distinct. It, it just seems rushed and hasty. A challenge spaced too far apart feels like it doesn't matter. A challenge that is too easily overcome and accepted, part four is acceptance, we'll talk about that in a second, makes it feel like the theme isn't really a big deal, which is why for other story structures, it's really a good idea if your theme, in addition to being tied to your main character, is either tied to your character arc or your plot or both. That way your story always has sort of a, uh, not a spine, because we talk about scenes in terms of spines and skeletons, but maybe you're, you could think of your theme as the column of nerves running through your spinal column. It's in there, it's part of it, and you know, messing that up will really do some harm to the overall skeleton of the story, and you can't really get away without recognizing it as part of the body. The challenge section carries with it a number of failures. That failure can be big and messy and embarrassing and awkward, and it can drive the character forward. It can drive the plot forward. It can just be a, a speed bump in the road. Again, it depends on what your story is. But your challenges will continue to be challenges until we get to number four, the last part of a thematic arc, which is acceptance, which is the internalization, the synthesis of the idea into the character's life into the character's behavior, into their thinking, into their moral code, whatever the theme might be. The character gets it, everything clicks together, and the character can then proceed forward in a different direction. Maybe a motivated one, maybe a relieved one, whatever the theme is, it depends. But the character is made different now because of the theme. The theme has helped transform them. That acceptance generally comes as a result of some kind of conflict. Maybe that's the main plot, conf you know, the climax. Maybe that's your subplot climax. Maybe it's both because it's two parts. I don't know. But acceptance that doesn't come without a conflict doesn't feel very important. And your theme should be really important because, again, it's the lesson we're trying to get across to the reader rather than just illustrating to them, oh, this is what the characters do. They do stuff now. You're trying to get the reader to resonate with the kind of story you're telling. Theme is how we add an additional dimension to our story. It's not enough that we just tell a story at their faces or that we write down a string of things about how creative we are. We need that sense of connection to the reader, and theme is how we do it. And the first place we really do it is by seeing the character overcome conflict internalize that theme, and accept it. So focus on those four parts, intro, recognition, challenge, 
and acceptance, and you'll have a much easier time when you are shaping a theme. Let's let's do we'll do an example, right? So let me grab my cup of tea here. So let's say I'm still knocking out the green tea from chat this, this morning. I know. Lunacy. But let's say we have a theme of hmm, justice for the underdog. If that's our theme, our introduction starts with someone not receiving justice and injustice being committed, right? That's how we start. We're going to start with a deficit. If we wanted to start with a positive, we illustrate, I don't know, we have a lawyer fighting for the little guy. Doesn't matter who, but we're gonna if we're gonna follow the lawyer, we introduce this theme and say it's gonna be the undercurrent. The recognition, if we're doing our legal thriller, is pretty straightforward. The lawyer has presented a case, and that case, no matter what it is, no matter how complicated it is, has at its heart, in addition to its plot complexity, this moment where the theme fits into the story. Sure, it might be a twisted, you know, triple homicide business complexity thing. But the lawyer, our protagonist, who's looking at this case, is sitting there going, at the end of the day, this is a story about justice, and I'm a character driven for justice, so that's the moment of recognition. They commit to taking the case because when you boil away, when you, when you strip away and boil off all the, the set dressing, the story is about a, a concept, that concept being the theme. Over the course of the story now, we move into the challenge section where the lawyer gains the evidence, looks for witnesses, tries the case, and runs into obstacles in the courtroom, in, you know, outside the courtroom, in the press, over here, over there. All those obstacles, no matter what they are, no matter if they're directly in opposition to the character or they're just, you know, legal maneuverings or whether there's a goon who meets him in a dark, shadowy alley, all of those things, because they come in and around the story reason of, you know, it's about the case and the the whole book's about the case, all those challenges feel thematically relevant, even if each challenge is different and distinct from each other. One set of challenges might be the, the maneuvering of the other opposing counsel or the judge making decisions, and that's separate than the shady goon in the alley, even if the shady goon was hired by the other opposing counsel. All these things are different, but they end up pointing us back and steering us back to, gosh, it's just important to get justice for the underdog. And the challenges we see the character overcome help reinforce that theme. Eventually, through all these challenges, our hero, let's say she does her best, she eventually synthesizes this idea, she feels dispirited, she feels broken, she's gone through hell and back, and now she's here, she accepts that, yep, I'm going to do my best, no matter the risk and danger, we move to acceptance, we sit with the theme, and we demonstrate that, yeah, you can get justice with the little guy, because she ends up winning the case. One, two, three, lots of threes, lots of twos, and a four at the end. Thematic arcs don't necessarily need to be hyper-complicated in order to be functional. They just need to be able to be connected to some story elements rather than just saying, oh, I have this theme in my story because of one scene or because of one object. We want to get away from that oversimplistic, disconnected storytelling and weave pieces together. Here's what you want to think about. 
you want to find the elements of your story, plot arc, character arc, something not world building-y, although world building can be supportive, but it's usually not enough because it doesn't feel like it's hard to connect to a world. What you want to do is find character or plot stuff and tie a theme to it. And then ask yourself, especially if you're trying to like squeeze a theme into a second or third draft because you, you forgot it in the first draft, find what elements of the story help develop the theme. And you should be able to point to them. You should be able to go, okay, scene 19. That's the scene where uh, the character does, you know, they, they go to the office building. Okay, why, why does that point to theme? Because the office building is, is packed with people who want to stop them at every turn. Or it's where the spy has to burgle the house or whatever. You should know what scene is what. That's why, you know, we make a big deal about outlining and organizing. Know what scene is what and know what scenes tie to theme. Some scenes will not tie to theme despite tying to character and plot, and that's okay. But there should still be a number, more than a handful, more than a scant few scenes that tie to theme and character or theme and plot. Don't just have, it's a scene for plot or a scene for theme or a scene for character. Weave these pieces together better. That's why, again, we organize, but pay attention to my note on screen. You don't have to reinvent the wheel and make things more complicated. Use the pieces you have. And if you can't get them to work because you're missing some pieces, then you know what you need to put in. But don't feel like you've got to sit there in the planning stage and go, oh my God, I got this theme. I got to have like 25 moving parts to demonstrate. You don't. You, you don't. Complication is your enemy here. We want to make it simple and direct. It's not because you're stupid. It's not because the reader is stupid. It's just because it's going to be easier for you to dive deeper into it if there's less stuff in the way. And you have, just so we're clear again, the whole ass book to do this in. This doesn't need to happen on page one. Doesn't need to happen within the first 10 pages. Doesn't need to happen before we get to the plot. You got the whole book. And it does not necessarily need to be equally divided. Oh, we get 5% here, and 5% there, and 5% over there. It can be big, irregular-ass pieces. It's just got to be done in its entirety by the end of the book. So don't feel like you have to rush it. And don't feel like you have to space it out so super thin either. Don't hang out on the ends of that bell curve. There's a huge middle area for you to take advantage of. What you want to look at, what you want to focus on, what you want to think about is, what is my story about? And then take the additional step of, when I answer that question, I don't want to talk about my plot. You want to talk about theme. Because you can easily sit and go, oh, my story is a story about two people in a fantasy world who, who find a fish person. Okay. When we get those things out of the way, what's your story really about? You want to make sure that you tie your big, your big story pieces to your theme, like your climax. Climaxes carry thematic weight. They, they, they do a wonderful job making your theme and your climax partnered together to help your story feel organized. That's why we cheer when climaxes pay off. 
Oh, he did shoot the shot. They did use the death blossom. You know, she did score the goal. He did win the case. She did, you know, punch that guy in the nose. Hooray. You know, the, the big, the big yay of things isn't that she just did the action. It's that the action has something additional underneath it. Now, here's why theme matters, because I've talked about this. I've defined it, and most people are like, yeah, that sounds really complicated, or that takes the fun out of writing, or that just makes it hard, or I don't know what my theme is, or it's not that big a deal, or whatever. I'll just figure it out later, like we're deciding on the hair color of some secondary character. Theme matters. Because without a theme... All you've got on that page, all those 100,000, 80,000, 60,000, 77,000 words or whatever, it's just something you made up. And everybody can make stuff up. Some people do it professionally. Some people do it just as a hobby, but everybody can make stuff up. And what gets you published, what sells your books, is not limited to just how imaginative you are. We all have imagination. What else do you have? What else you got? And theme should be the thing. Because there's this idea called the gap. And it's the division between imagination and craft. Because writing, in addition to being the act of making decisions, it's more about just typing sentences with cool stuff in it. So many authors, very, very earnest, well-meaning authors sit there and they write cool stuff. They got dragons and, and, and sword fights and lasers and, and ninjas and bears and chickens and, and this, that, and the other. They got all these different things and they know all this jargon and they can talk about their first act and they can talk about their climax and they know what a plot arc is and they're, they're ready to pitch and they have a pitch and they got a cover and they got an isbin and they got this and they got that. And then when you dig any deeper past just them imagining stuff it seems really empty it seems really forced it seems like all of a sudden they hadn't planned to give this any depth it feels empty inside hollow like easter candy because writing is a craft it's an art it's a skill that should be developed. And you got to cross that gap between I just made shit up and wrote it down and I have crafted a coherent collective story of more than just my imagination that's going to impact the reader on an emotional level as well. Yes, we want the reader to picture our ideas in their imagination and see that mental movie, but we also want it to stick with them. And for a lot of writers, when I talk about that stuff, they, they have this idea that when I say stick with them, it's got to be this big hand-wringing overwrought, like, oh, my God, it changes the nature of your human essence to experience this thing. Like, we're all watching the first movie that really, like, shook us. That's not what I'm saying. It'd be delightful if your book did that. It'd be wonderful. I'd be very happy for you. But it's not necessary that everything you write all the fucking time is this monumental effort of affecting humanity. Yes, sometimes you're just writing a story about silly people running around in spaceships. I get it. But that doesn't remove from you the responsibility 
of having your manuscript be more than this thing you uh, you just dreamed up and daydreamed about when you were supposed to be working, and then you wrote it down and haha, I'm a writer. You got to cross that gap. It's a big deal. Lots of people, maybe people in your writing groups, maybe people you know will not cross the gap because the gap is where the fun stuff turns a little bit into work sometimes. Cross the gap, please. Because one of the things that theme can help us do is better connect our dots. So let's say we have a bunch of things happening in a story. This happens, then that happens, then this happens. One, two, and three. Theme makes those items, those one, twos, and threes, more substantial than they are without changing them. Yeah, that that one thing is just a conversation between two ex-lovers. But the theme of loss or grief makes that conversation more substantial than just the part where one character said, God, I miss the way you kiss me. You make it matter more. You make it weighty. You don't, you're, you're not making it you know, fluffy and soft and vapid. It's not going to be something that comes in the reader's one ear and goes out the other. You help connect these pieces in more than just a sequential, well, first I did this, then I did that way. You don't want to just have things happening next to each other. Theme is one of the ways, not the only way, but one of the ways you tie stuff together. If we have a theme of loss and grief, that grief and loss needs to weave and wend its way all the way around a lot of the story. Otherwise, it seems like we, we can check in and, and have some grief and then put it down. Like we can just walk away from it and forget it and then have a couple of light, happy scenes and then go right back to grief. And that's going to make the grief feel really insubstantial. Your theme elevates stuff, intensifies stuff. It, it helps things stick together. It's, it's, it's adhesive and it's buoyant and it's intensity. It matters. It helps you tie things together for more than just a plot reason or consequentialism. It also makes things feel more important because if one to two to three and three is the big deal, theme is going to add significance. Why does three matter more than two? Because not only is three different, three carries the baggage from two. And the baggage is a big deal, not just because you wrote it, not just because you said the character was sad McSad face, but because the theme says, yeah, it's supposed to be a big deal when the character breaks down. Theme gives us more dimension to our pieces. It makes things heavier. And when people freak out about, oh, writing is hard, it's so it's just hand-wringing and there's so much stuff to consider. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what we're doing. We're considering stuff. We're, we're making it matter. It's one thing if the story just wants to be this light, bubbly, effervescent thing, you know, a little hobby thing you're doing, just kicking it around, whatever. That's awesome. That's where you're at. That's where you're at. But if, if you really want to pursue the next greater steps, the, hey, I'd like to make some money and have this be my career kind of steps, then you need to understand that themes need to be there and work needs to happen. And it's okay if you take one look at this and you're like, nah, I'm out. I don't want to deal with this. That's fine. It's okay. But where you want to go, the thing you say is important, goes right through themes. 
They're big deals for a reason. On we go. So here's this moment, because I get told I need to use more examples. Here's a moment with Captain America. Happens in the end of the Avengers series, where he wields Mjolnir, Thor's hammer. And it is a cool moment, because the dude's wielding a hammer and a shield. It's pretty awesome. It's a, it's a great fight scene. It's this big, holy shit moment. And it's cool on the face of it. And a lot of writers would just leave it on the face of it because it's totally cool. Captain America's got Thor's hammer. He's badass. But the reason why when it happens in the theater, everybody goes bananas. The reason why it feels tremendous is because we've been building up this idea of what it means to wield Mjolnir and what it means for Captain America to be good enough and virtuous enough and right enough and strong enough and capable enough. We've been building it up and building it up so that when he finally can lift the hammer to go fight Thanos, it's a big deal because the thematic arc made it that way. It isn't just, oh, well, my character does cool shit. Oh, okay. Why does your character do cool shit? Beyond the fact of, well, it's because I need them to because otherwise if they don't, the story stops. The theme is why. The theme add weight. The theme makes it matter. The theme is a big deal. Theme creates memory. Helps it stick in our brains. Theme is also a chance for you to exhibit something called self-expression. You get to pick and choose what themes you put in your story. You get to pick them. Don't... Pick them according to what's popular because maybe that doesn't fit in with your story idea. And don't shoehorn it in just because five other people are writing stories with themes of, you know, getting over disappointment. Doesn't mean you have to find a way to squeeze it into your story. You get to pick and choose what themes you want. And if you only pick stuff because it's imaginative, you end up with very quickly diminishing returns. For example, if we go look at Star Wars. The themes in the original trilogy can be found pretty easily. Now, what are the themes in the prequels? I'm not talking about whether or not the themes in movies are any good. That's a different discussion for a different day. I'm asking you about the themes in the Star Wars prequels. We know where they're going plot-wise. We know what events they're covering to some degree. What are the themes? And do they feel as resonant to you? Do they feel as dynamic to you? Do they stick in your head to the same degree in the same way? Not just, you know, they're there, but they suck. But, you know, the think about how the other themes in the original trilogy matter to you, possibly. Do the prequel themes and the way they're expressed matter in the same way? And then let's step forward and go look at the sequel trilogy. What are the themes there? One of the reasons why people get real dicey about, oh my God, these, this behavior, the character is so, it's, it's so out of character for this character, you know, for this guy to have done this thing or not done this thing. It's because the theme they're presenting is fairly intense. And compared to the other themes prior to it, it seems out of place, but that doesn't mean it is out of place. And yeah, you can construct an argument to say, well, Luke should never have acted that way. Okay. Well, what do you think the theme is? If you say the theme is, you know, dealing with uh, a resistance to 
aging and the changing of things and a sense of self-disillusionment, then yeah, he totally should have. But if you're saying that the theme is all about finding the good in people and you're limiting yourself to only thinking in that direction, then sure, it is out of context. But he also wasn't engaging in behavior to mirror the theme. He was not concerned with finding the good anymore. Themes can change. Characters can grow. People can have depth. But when we can also, let's, let's step outside of Star Wars. Let's go look somewhere else. What are the themes in Lord of the Rings? Go ahead. Lord of the Rings, functionally children's stories. What are the themes in Lord of the Rings? Don't say it's to reforge a sword and claim a kingdom. Don't say it's to marry Liv Tyler. Those aren't themes. Those are plot events. It's not to huck jewelry in a volcano. What is the theme of Lord of the Rings? I'll wait. If you're watching this on YouTube, tell me down in the comments. You don't want to do Lord of the Rings? Fine. Uh, Neil Gaiman's Sandman series? What are the themes? There's a lot of them. Pick two. Could you have said those themes in any other way? If we have themes of self-acceptance and letting go, bearing guilt, self-forgiveness, shame, grief, anger, and loss, could you strip those themes away? Just delete them. And would the Sandman feel the same? If the answer is no, then your theme and your story are very tightly woven together. If I can just ignore a theme and the movie is fine, it doesn't stop doing anything. Like, for instance, if we look at the the next Karate Kid with Hilary Swank, um, that is so far removed from the Karate Kid series as a whole, it might as well be just like a different experience or an alternate ver an alternate universe kind of story because yeah it has Miyagi yeah there is some technical karate but it it doesn't feel the same way because it's not framed around the same thing because the theme there is not the theme it was before your theme needs to tie to your story in a way that does more than show off how imaginative you are on we go. Publishing. Traditional publishing in particular. Though I should say this will apply to self-publishing, just more about readers rather than publishers. But publishing loves themes. It's one of the criteria they use for rejection. If you can't spot your theme, and I don't just mean like I put the word theme in my query letter. If your theme doesn't show up in your manuscript or your theme is unclear in your manuscript or your theme seems really lacking in sort of lip service you pay, it's not going forward in the publishing process. Publishing loves themes. Here's why. Because they are an assumption. Publishing loves making assumptions. They're an assumption and evidence that you've done more that just made a very basic story outline and that you've given a shit and that you've sorted your pieces out and that you know not just my main character or my secondary character or my second act for my climax or my flashback for my other framing devices or whatever. It's a sense of there's something under the story. Remember we talked about the vertebra and the spinal nerve column? It's the nerves underneath that help tie and bind things together. Themes do that. You can have themes and your story can still be a giant mess. 
It happens a lot. But themes are a thing that hold a story together or can make a difference in a story. We like themes. Themes are our friend. Themes, yes, unfortunately for traditional publishing, create a sense of assumption. For self-publishing, themes are sort of a, a, when we talked about the adhesive quality of it, themes are what stick out to the reader. It's what helps make a story enjoyable beyond just, oh, cool things happened. That's why themes matter from a publishing perspective. They encourage readership. They encourage sales. They encourage, you know, consideration of an author as somebody more than just generating ideas. Themes are a big step up from just being creative. They cross the gap. Think about it this way. For traditional publishing, pimps, agents, and editors look for themes to indicate depth and skill. Ah, they've got themes. Neat. Good for them. They know more or less some of the bigger, deeper complexities of writing. They might not know all the theory. They might not have studied this. They might not have a degree or fancy whatevers. You don't need any of that shit anyway. But there's at least a sense of like, it's more than this made-up person did made-up things. It's got some, some body to it. And in a lot of submission processes for traditional publishing, an absence of themes or weakly developed themes is auto-rejection. You're just going to get a form letter. Hey, thanks so much for your submission. This isn't for us. See you later. Ta-ta for now. For self-publishing, it's about making sure the reader remembers. Ah, that's the story not only that has the really cool fight with the vampire, it's the story where it just feels really good that the character finds like his twin brother. A lack of theme will make the book feel disorganized and not worth their time because, again, it's just going to be a bunch of characters doing stuff. Theme is what's going to make it stick in the reader's head and keep them turning the page to see what happens next. And that's not just going to be because, oh, now they're fighting a vampire. Now they're fighting a, a giant dog. Now it's going to be about how the character is and how they relate to it. On we go. Here are the universal six themes that you probably know. Let me just count on my fingers. I'm going to get a mouthful of tea. I'll count on my fingers and make sure I got six. Nope, sorry. It's seven. Seven themes you should probably know. Okay. The basic seven. These are universal in the sense that we know a lot of them and we see a lot of different permutations of them and they are real flexible and really useful and they are a safe bet when it comes to, hey, I need a theme. What's a theme in my story? Here we go. I'm going to cover all seven. We're going to start with a, a class of theme. These are classes. A cla Think of them as a big umbrella under which lots of other stuff sits. Love and beauty. This can be appreciating beauty. This can be discovering beauty. This can be discovering love, finding love, rekindling love. Anything to do with love and beauty, whether that's physical beauty, emotional beauty, depth, whatever. You can also include sex and sexuality with this to some degree. There's a lot of overlap between some themes. But love, attraction, and beauty, we've seen in things like Romeo and Juliet or Cyrano or any rom-com or any romance novel. There's a theme somewhere of love and beauty. That doesn't mean it's the only theme. It just means that that's a theme those books tend to have. Other big theme is power. Somebody wants power. Somebody has power. Somebody's trying to maintain power. Somebody's trying to change the, the balance of power. 
We see that in any monarchistic fantasy story. God, I'm tired of monarchistic fantasy stories. But we see that anytime there's a king and they've got a noble quest or whoever pulls the sword out of the garbage can becomes king next or whatever. We also see it in Raiders of the Lost Ark with Nazis because they want power. They want the Ark, and then it's up to one guy in a hat to fight them off. We see it in Wall Street where capitalism is slowly destroying everything, and it's somehow up to Charlie fucking Sheen to save the day because greed is apparently good and scummy. But power, power isn't always strength because that's fascistic. Sometimes power is wealth because that's capitalistic. Sometimes it's, you know, concentrations of ability, which is oligarchic. Sometimes it's just you know, the lead jock on the football team. Power is power. Gaining power, losing power, consolidating power, finding out they have a secret power and discovering they are, in fact, the person of prophecy. Power. Strong source for themes. How about faith? This can be religious faith, theistic faith, pantheonic faith, but can also be faith in yourself, faith in your team, faith in your friend group, faith in the person to your, your left. You see this most commonly in any underdog story, particularly sports stories, where, you know, the bunch of losers suddenly get a chance to, you know, play the sport and then go up against the big championship team and win in the end. Can the, the little plucky team of screw-ups hit the home run, score the gold, play dodgeball, et cetera, et cetera? Faith. Faith gives us a sense of hope. Sometimes faith as a theme is replaced with hope. They're synonymous. Flipping it around, we get stories about death and grief or loss. Most uh, The easiest example I can think of is WandaVision. WandaVision is a giant meditation on losing people and not wanting to lose people and not willing to give up anything and, and essentially using you know all kinds of cheats and shortcuts, literally creating a fantasy to escape it. Death and grief matter. You can also file anger under this to some degree because that usually accompanies some level of grief and anger is a really intense thematic tool because it's a very strong primal emotion. Then we get to survival. Now, sometimes survival means literal survival, like I'm stuck on a mountain and I have to escape or I'm trapped on a desert island or I'm stuck in the desert with no water or I have to, you know, survive internment from an enemy. But sometimes it's also making sure something sticks around. Like I have to serve, I have to make sure my marriage stays intact, or I have to ride down devil's backbone in order to save the malt shop or something. Survival is just existence, it's existential, or it's a matter of preservation in some way. Something survives. Maybe it's me, maybe it's a concept, maybe it's a thing. But survival is a very key core human experience because while we, all don't have malt shops that need, you know, rescue from demolition. We may all need the idea. We may, we may all feel the idea of I'm going to do my best and make sure things stay as they are because I like things this way. Likewise, we get into identity, who we are as people. Are you a hero? Are you, you know, a vigilante? Are you somebody willing to break unfair rules? Are you somebody who stands up to oppression? Are you the underdog who, who, you know, sticks out? Are you discovering something about yourself? Are you, again, we're going to see overlap with power or faith here. Are you the, are you the one? Are you the prophesied person? We can also see this in anything from acceptance and coming to terms with, you know, your identity. Are you, you know, do you want to identify differently than how you're identifying early on in a story? Do you need to change 
identity or gender or queerness or name or title or opportunity. Identity isn't just about ass assessing a label. Identity is about definition. So we see that in any underdog story, any story of self-discovery. We see it in any story with faith. Identity plays a huge component in that because, again, really primal human experience. And then we run into family. Uh, and, and family is, again, a, a generally positive experience. We don't necessarily see negative family themes like my family is a toxic piece of shit, so that now there's a memoir about it. But nine times out of ten, you'll see a, what's called a positive family theme, which is just we're in this together, whether that's found family or the closeness of brothers who all wrestle even though they're all you know cursed in the 70s. Or, or anything like that where we're unifying or banding together a group of people. It doesn't necessarily have to be biologic. It can be experiential, the band of brothers in war. But it could also be just a bunch of people who share a common ideal, like the Avengers or the Justice League or, I don't know, the people from uh, the X-Men slash the Fast and Furious franchise because that's functionally the same thing. Family. It's the, it's the seventh significant theme. With me so far? Any questions? We're, we're plowing right along here. Actually going a bit faster than I thought, but that's okay because there's some dense stuff coming up. Questions? Shall we just keep moving? I'm going to get more tea. All right. Let's dive deep. Whenever I talk about themes, people want a list. They want to know, well, what kind of themes can I have? What, what are good themes? What are, what are right themes? How do I know when I've got a good one? Okay. I went through all my notes from college. All my notes from college. All of them. All the notebooks. And I put together a list. You ready? I'm going to leave this screen up. I'm going to tell you right now, the font is tiny, tiny, tiny. And if you're looking for a longer list, let me know. Go to the Patreon, jump on the Discord. There's a whole giant list there. But I'm telling you, there's a list. Ready? It's not even on one slide. It's on two slides. There's that many. But you'll see. You'll see. Long-ass list. I'm not going through all of these, but I will cover some. <sighs> Here we go. This is a significant list. You're going to get stuff that we already saw in the, the Universal 7, but you'll also get stuff like coming of age, which is the idea that a character evolves thanks to maturity, either physically, emotionally, or both. Or a, a theme of conspiracy, planning to do a thing. Maybe, you know, the, the smoking man did engineer the alien things that Mulder and Scully have to deal with. Maybe we deal with a sense of innocence, whether that's gaining innocence or losing innocence, where all of a sudden the, the rose-tinted glasses or the scales before our eyes fall off and we see the world for how it really is. Maybe it's just fear, plain old fear. Oh my God, a big, giant, scary monster, and I am scared of the monster because I have to survive the, the creepy serial killer who escaped. Fear. Maybe it's something more concrete. Maybe it's like fear of failure. And a story where the character never really lets themselves try anything because they're always afraid of screwing up. Maybe not, though. 
Maybe we want to take a look at something like, you know, love and sacrifice. I'm willing to take this hit for you and, and give up something that matters to me because you matter to me more than this thing I will give up. How about a theme? Let's do one that we don't normally talk about. How about a theme of the future? Now, that's a theme that used to come up a lot. People 50, 60, 70 years ago spent a lot of time, 100 years ago, talking about the future. With That's where the flying cars and the ideas of the Jetsons come in. But themes of the future are all not just in you know this crazy, wild, Rube Goldbergian kind of thing. They're also projective. You know, will the future be a better place or will the future be a dystopia? Will we realize the error of our ways before it's too late? Or are we cursed now because of them? But we could also look at something like overcoming vice, uh, a character shedding addiction, somebody going into rehab, somebody dealing with the, the struggles of being a parent of somebody in rehab. For, you know, Overcoming, just as a broad concept, can be tremendously powerful. When we look at something like progress, just an effort to do a thing, whether it's a Sisyphean effort where we're going to roll the boulder up the hill and then get stymied and it's going to roll back and we're, we're going to keep trying, but we're maybe never going to make it. Or maybe it's, you know, the illusion of progress, this idea of, hey, I think I'm making a difference, but in the end of the day, it turns out that you are, uh, in fact, not. Chaos versus order, Jordan Peterson's favorite theme for everything in the alt-right fascist sphere, because those two ideas are so bi are so oppositional by existence that you can end up giving a sense of strength and security by framing order and saying we want to bring order to this chaos, or perhaps we want to open up and fight the empire by introducing chaos to their order once we suggest that their order is bad. We can do a lot of things with theme. You can say what you want to say in a story through its theme or themes. It isn't just about, I have a story with dragons. Great. What are you doing with it? You know how I've talked a lot in the last two months about you got to have something to say. You get to stand on your soapbox and you get to express yourself. Theme is one of those avenues for broadcast. You want to see the rest of the list? Yeah, still going. I know. It's in fact so long that I forgot to make a one column lowercase and change its font. So it's just typed out. That's not even the complete list. That's just the list I had in my notes. There's probably 20 to 30 more that I didn't have. Because I went to school in the late 90s, early 2000s, so there's a great deal of ableism and white supremacy and racism and capitalism and sexism in, in my notes because that's the environment in which I was stewing in at the time. So I'm, I'm sure I've excluded some things. I know ableism doesn't make this list, and it should. But themes, themes are that network of ideas and concepts that you should identify with. They're the things that make our story feel bigger than they are. And they can be so easily accomplished, so easily accomplished. When you think about your plot, when you think about your character arc, it isn't just, well, the character's doing stuff. Dig deeper, dig in. 
yes, the character is doing stuff because, you know, they want to learn the truth about a secret. Keep digging. Dig more. Why? Why does that matter to them? Why is this important? Why should the reader care as much as you, the author, do? And don't just say, well, because if they don't, they won't buy the book and then I won't sell anything. Deeper than that, get the capitalism out of the way. Go look at what it is you're trying to say about your sense of the world. You get to do that. That's enormously empowering. If your view of your world is that the world is, let's say, I don't know, let's say you see the world as unfair because you as a person in middle age didn't take enough chances because you were afraid. So you see the world as a bitter, tired place that's ready to reject you rather than accept you. There's like a bajillion ideas there for theme that you can put in any story. You just need to think about how you see the world and then find theme or multiple themes that reflect some dimension of the world that you can express through the plot. Now, I know a lot of writers, a ton of writers, lock down their plot and their character first. And that's fine. It's not automatically wrong or bad to do that. But once you narrow that down, oh, I'm going to tell the story about uh, a young teenage girl who discovers she has magic. Okay, okay. Once we get that out of the way, though, what lesson do you want the reader to walk away with? Because I'm pretty sure your random library reader who checks that book out is not going to go home and suddenly cast Fireball. So what lesson are you trying to get across in your story? And it's okay if it's the same kind of theme as 30 other books you could think of. We don't have to reinvent the wheel here. We don't have to go out of our way here. You just need to figure out what you want to communicate to the reader and then have the courage to say it and the discipline to say it in an organized way. And for a lot of writers, that's scary as shit because they don't have a strong support system. So they've never really given their own creativity a sense of accomplishment or room to breathe. No one's ever told them that they're good enough or they're really hard-pressed to think of situations where they let themselves be good enough. They hold themselves back. They're afraid of rejection. They're afraid of denial. They're afraid of it being difficult so they don't really commit because they want safety rather than risk. And because of that, they don't push their art. They don't improve their writing. Because they're still holding on to some idea and some self, some definition of self that hasn't been serving them, but it's comfortable even if they don't like it. Theme is one of those ways you step away from that. Theme is one of those ways you mature your craft. Theme is one of the ways you just get better. Because it allows you to tackle a concept and take on an idea no matter whether we're telling the story about a, a, you know, how Stella gets her groove back or how somebody scores the winning basket when the buzzer sounds. By the way, those two stories are not the same theme. But you get what I'm saying? It's how we make the story matter more than just the creativity. We cross the gap thanks to theme. You want to see that list one more time? And I understand that in audio this theme, this whole list thing kind of gets lost. So let me, let me, 
like bounce through some of these so you get an idea of what I'm talking about. Abuse of power, arrogance, art, beating the odds, betrayal, bravery, the effect of capitalism on the individual, celebration, the necessity of change, tradition versus change, whether or not family is a blessing or curse, faith over doubt, the evils of humanity, the evils of racism, whether or not love is of everlasting, uh, fulfillment, friendship, LGBTQ plus rights or autonomy, greed, good versus evil, uh, good versus bad, which is not the same as good versus evil. Good versus evil is very clear cut, you know, binary sides, whereas good versus bad brings in those shades of gray. Uh, greed specifically leading to downfall, innocence, isolation, maturity, loyalty, whether or not it's good to manipulate each other, materialism, nationalism, why nationalism sucks, uh, passion, patience, stupid patriotism, peace, peer pressure, the corruption, the corrupting effects of power, whether or not progress is real, the quest for discovery, a noble quest, you know, a quest like go get, you know, go over here and find the holy cup, um, rebirth, regret, redemption, resisting force, sanity, secrecy, whether or not it's a good idea to, to separate things and segregate them, inner self. Uh, how you feel as a person composing yourself, outer self, the the appearance and aesthetic you identify with, self-preservation, uh, suicide, survival, temptation, wealth, the, the necessity of war, if any, hint, there's never any, uh, wisdom, the wisdom of experience, the struggle of the working class, all power to the people, xenophobia, the vulnerability of the, the meek, the vulnerability of the strong, violence, truth, Loads of different themes. Loads of different themes. So let me ask you, what is it that you want to say in your story? And if you're sitting there and you're listening to this and you're like, shit, I don't know. What do I do now that I don't know? Don't worry. It's fixable. It's super fixable. Here's what you need to do. Think about your story. Really, like... Let it sit in your head. It's the story of this made-up person doing made-up stuff in a made-up place. That's great. Why do the things the made-up person is doing matter to them? How would you, if you were the character in the made-up world doing the made-up things, how would you feel doing them? Why would it be important to you? Why would it be important to somebody in that same situation to do those things? In those, early, in those early, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm, I'm searching for a word. In those early furtive steps, that's the word I'm looking for. You're going to start finding the, the shape and texture of your theme or themes. Because maybe you don't have one. Maybe you have two. Maybe you have four. I don't know. Depends on what your story is. By the way, if you have more than two, you really want to start assigning some kind of priority to them. Which one's more important? They can't all be equal. I can't say can't. It is very, 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 very unlikely that they're all equal. Start prioritizing them. Just sort them out. Think about this. If you're still in a planning, creating stage where you're still trying to, you know, bang out that first draft and things are really rough, ask yourself, what do you want to write about? What do you want to say? 
more than just, I want to make stuff up and here's the stuff I want to make up. What do you want to say? How can we weld what you want to say with what you want to make up? How can we make both of those things stronger as a result? How can we Dragon Ball Z fusion this shit together? That's worth thinking about. Here are some greatest hits. Here are some things from the list of themes that you might want to think about. When we talk about themes of abuse of power, it is often done where the story follows the person doing the abuse. The abuser of power is usually the subject of an abuse of power theme. It doesn't always have to be like this. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's about seeing the abuse of power and then standing up and doing something about it. Abuse of power and overcoming adversity usually partners together like that. When we talk about the effect of, the, uh, the effect of capitalism on the individual, the individual doesn't always mean like Kevin down the end of the street. It could just be the effect of the individual, like the collective middle class or all the people who work at the robot factory. When we look at something like convention and rebellion, we're talking everything from Star Wars to Les Mis or office space or slow horses where there's a one consistent way to do things. And then there's this group of people over here who are doing different and maybe they're achieving something better for whatever reason and however we want to define better. When we look at something like heartbreak or betrayal, it's more about, the depth of the hurt rather than what the betrayal was. I think too often, especially in romance, people get hung up on what the betrayal was as if I just, if I just keep telling you that, Oh, they cheated on that other person. A cheated on B. And I just keep drilling home. A cheated on B. Then like that makes the betrayal matter. If I just repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. Make it more about the depth. Make it more about how much it hurts rather than what it was. And you'll see greater connection with your characters and better connection with your reader. Because if I just keep telling you a thing, it's not going to click. But if I start developing the depth, I can make you or lead you to feel a thing. And that's where you'll stay engaged. When we look at something like inner versus outer strength, Almost always, we're going to talk about some kind of incarceration or difficulty in endurance. People being prisoned, people building a bridge over the River Kwai, somebody stuck on a desert island, somebody, you know, who doesn't think they can run a marathon, suddenly learning they can run a marathon. Those themes are intimate and personal, and it can be a very useful tool to do anything with. Likewise, when we look at hierarchy in nature, so often we frame people as the little guy. And that's because, you know, there's killer sharks or giant robots or volcanoes or, you know, we've unleashed Godzilla from the depth of the ocean floor or, I don't know, fucking Cthulhu. And it's about understanding that we have a place in a, in a, in a chain, whether that's a food chain or an existential chain. And the people, we are not always the top is a frequent element in hierarchy in nature stories. Social mobility uh, is great YA fuel. It's the idea of here we are as people and we're going to change our circumstances one way or another. So that's Mean Girl, Revenge of the Nerds, not the sexual assault part, just the nerds overcoming the jocks. Trading places where we can show the, you know, 
giving comeuppance to the two rich old white dudes because one of us is Eddie Murphy and the other one of us is on cocaine. Social mobility. The necessity of work. Um, you don't really see this one so much anymore, but it's still a really good one because somebody's got to go do a hard job. Maybe that's, you know, they've got to do a lot, the hard job of spending 30 years in prison or they've got to do the hard job of not ratting out their people for a lesser sentence or, you know, everybody, you've just got to be the trigger man on the tough job, but it's a job and somebody's got to do it. The necessity of work. Now you could also make that conceptual and say as part of a cap, as a cog in a capitalist system, you, you must work because the, the Protestant work ethic demands that your existence as a human is only... Uh, material or relevant to how well you work and serve others. So you better work, work, work your job to death because that's the only way you're a good human. Maybe that's the direction you want to take. I don't know. It's up to you. But then when we get to stuff like despair, where things are just bleak, the hard part with like really severely negative themes, really tough things to deal with, is that it can be hard to like inject hope into a story when it's all sad all the time and it just seems like we're sitting in the dark listening to i don't know cold play records or something and just lighting candles and feeling miserable it can be hard to offset that so generally what we try to do is not go too deep with despair and partner it up with other stuff so yeah there's despair but we also usually have hope or despair leads to freedom or despair leads to a change in circumstance you don't want to generally have just a negative theme by itself because the story will feel like a bummer. Sometimes you go to fulfillment is a natural sequence, uh, segue from despair because a dream comes true. Oh my God, everything, my, my life sucks. Oh no, I've, I've got the golden ticket and I get to go hang out with Gene Wilder as he straight up murders children. Maybe it's passion, which is another great romantic theme where it's just we can't be in love because we're enemies or we're coworkers or, or, you know, we're neighbors, but we're already married to two people who are shitty. But no, our love is forbidden. We're from the wrong side of the tracks. Passion, hugely influential theme. Jealousy. The idea of I have a thing and you want it. Or I wasn't expecting to be jealous because of your success and how that changes what I do. Inner peace, which over the last 20 or so years, 30 or so years has been used in more of like a, a Kung Fu action movie kind of vibe. We're going to meditate and discover our chi and then accept that we are the one and then go fight somebody in the face. But it could also be just a story of acceptance. Inner peace and acceptance go together really, really easily. Likewise, justice and fairness is the source material for all legal thrillers. The wrongly accused person, the person who swears they didn't do it, turns out that they didn't do it, and it's up to one plucky lawyer to save the day. Lots of different story stuff stems with a theme. Do I think it's better to start with a theme and then build a plot? No, not always. Sometimes it is, but not always. Sometimes you can have a plot and you can have characters and then you can bend and twist them. A lot of writers are opposed to that because they get a little rigid on the ideas that they hold precious. But you can bend and twist them a little bit to get the theme across. On we go. Three points as we near the end of this thing. Three points. 
You don't want to rush your theme. You don't have to get it out in the first 10 pages. Holy shit, please don't. Take your time. Remember, you got the whole book. The example I always give, the metaphor I always give for this is butter on toast. We want to take that knife and spread the butter or the jam or the jelly or the marmalade or the whatever the fuck you want to spread, peanut butter, whatever, on the toast. You don't want it all globbed up on one end, the first bite. You want that butter, that stuff spread throughout the entirety. Don't glob it all in one place. Spread it out and take your time so that, you know, it's evenly or relatively evenly distributed. You also don't want to overcomplicate it. Don't make a theme more than it is. Don't say, oh, well, I have uh, justice and truth and acceptance and freedom. Okay, that's a lot. Maybe we could just boil that down to justice and freedom. Because while the character might have acceptance, it's an acceptance that they've always done the right thing, so we're just sort of reinforcing stuff. Don't make things more complicated than they need to be. You will start obscuring or losing portions of themes or whole themes entirely if we start making like a complicated Rube Goldberg kind of situation like, oh, well, part of my plot deals with this, so the theme, you know, I have theme X because part of the story is these four events, and another part of my story is these ten events. That's not how theme works. It's not a salad bar. We don't dip over here and grab the lettuce and dip over there and grab the tomatoes and dip over there and grab the cucumber. It's one contiguous braid, one long, twisty, bendy thing through all the elements. <laughs> I got to drink more water. But don't overcomplicate it. There's going to be a temptation to. Because there's a sense of urgency. There's this sense of like, Oh man, if I have, if I have a lot of themes, it, it must make my story good because my themes are what will give my story depth. So if I want to come across with a lot of depth, I should have a lot of theme. No, more is not necessarily better. Use the pieces you have and dig into them rather than just keep adding more. Don't hack the clown car. We don't need a jillion themes barely explored. We need a few themes well explored. That said, don't force it. You don't have to push so damn hard. You don't have to club the reader over the head with it. It's not like every line that comes out of the character's face has to reinforce the theme. It just needs to be present in the story. It needs to be a thing the reader can take away from the whole reading experience. The theme of the whole book, not just this chapter, not just this scene. Whole book. All the little pieces of the book contributing together to get us an end result. One plus one plus one plus one. Don't force it. Are there any questions? Anybody? Anything? It was a lot. Admittedly, this was a lot of information. You want to get out of here? Let's get out of here. Why did that? Oh, because I got to click the thing. I want to thank, there's no outro music for this. I forgot to finish that. I, I didn't finish compiling it all together. It's, it's like five minutes long. I need to edit it down. But I want to thank you for checking this out being here. 
I hope this helped. My, my goal, my plan, my, my want here was to take this sort of nebulous teachy thing of theme and turn it into something you can do something with, make it useful to you. And I hope I did. If you liked this, by all means, the best things you can do if you're watching this on YouTube is don't forget to like and subscribe. Click the little thumb, click, make sure the bell notification is bell notified and subscribe because I'm going to do one of these a week. There will be a chat and there will be a workshop. My goal is every week this year to do both. So if you want to suggest a thing to talk about, put it down in the comments below or catch me on Discord. And you, you can get the Discord by going to the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash John helps you write better. $2 a month, two bucks a month will get you in the door, give you access to the Discord, give you a chance to be a part of everything from the chats to the workshops to the freebies to everything else. And of course, if you want help with your own work, the, the two best things I can tell you there, if you want help anywhere you get your podcasts, go search for John helps you write better. I'd be more than happy to, I guarantee you after what, two plus years of podcasting, there's an episode somewhere to help you do a thing you're doing. And if you want personal help to help your story be the best it can be and help you integrate themes into what you're creating and developing and thinking about and doing, you can get free coaching. Yes, free. It doesn't cost a damn thing. Go over to John helps you write better. You'll, you'll see the thing for appointments, book a free appointment. I'll be more than happy to help you do whatever you want to do and tell whatever story you're wanting to tell. Thanks. Thanks for being here. This was a long one. This was a good one. This was a dense one. I, I hope it made a difference. Um, yeah, really deeply satisfied. I don't know if I have the sound audio issue stuff with the music and stuff resolved. I think it has something to do with the software I'm using to broadcast because it's not OBS. But we'll give it a shot. I don't know. We'll keep playing around with it, see what we can do, um, and we'll go from there. The next time I'm here in your eyes and in your ears, uh, I will be right back here on the 9th at 1 p.m. Eastern for the writer's chat. And uh, next week, uh, there will be a workshop on, I believe I'm doing social media and marketing for anxious people, though I don't know what particular day that is. Stay tuned to the newsletter, which you can sign up for at johnhelpsyourwritebetter.com to get all the details on when that workshop will be in the next week or so. So, yeah, that's everything. Thanks for being here. Thanks for checking us out. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. See ya.